What is going on, Ridge Runner Nation? We are back with another edition of Ridge Runners Live. On this episode, we have the wonderful Nettie Zapatella, and she was the only finisher for the Baby Dragon 100 Mile this past weekend in Blairsville, Georgia. You're really going to want to check this one out. Hope you enjoy. What is up, Ridge Runner Nation? It is Cam, back again, hosting in place of Wesley Harton, uh, here to co-host tonight's Ridge Runners Live with the always lovely uh, John Dolovacki III and Nettie Zepatella here with us tonight after she was the only, uh, yeah, you heard that right, the only finisher of the Baby Dragon 100 Miler in Blairsville, Georgia. I am so excited to have her on as a guest tonight. I don't think any of you are going to want to miss this. Um, to those of you who don't know anything about Nettie yet, uh, let me just give you like a really quick rundown uh, because maybe you've heard of some of these races. The Hurt 100, the Hellgate 100, the Shawnee 50 Mile, uh, first place there, I might add, the Eastern States 100, the Cruel Jewel 100, the Ute 100, the Mohican 100, the Hellbender 100, the Mount Mitchell Challenge, Burning River 100, the Run Love at 100 Miler, another first place, the JFK 50 Miler, uh, 15 total podium finishes over the 58 races on her ultra sign-up page. And now, newly, the only finisher and the winner of the Baby Dragon 100 Miler. Um, it's such an honor to have Nettie on with us tonight. Uh, but that said, like always, I'll start with our usual first question. Nettie, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, yes, my drink. I have my drink. So I am a weird ultra runner that doesn't like to drink beer. Beer makes me sleepy. I don't like it. Uh, side, I'm drinking. I'm drinking prosecco. I'm the. I like bubbles. I like bubbly wine. <laughs> nice. What are you drinking over there, Cam? Yeah. So um, I can second the bubbles because the friend that I'm staying with until I move into my own apartment has a soda stream. So mm -hmm. I'm just some plain carbonated water here um, because I have yet to buy any beer or anything since I don't quite have my own place yet. Uh, oh, what, about okay. you, John? what are you doing? I'm drinking some classic Gatorade right here. Oh, uh, I'm the only one. No, no drink tonight for me. I uh, got the race this weekend, so I'm off off the booze for a couple of days to uh, make sure I'm in good shape. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'd love to see that focus and I think that's a really great choice for you tonight. <laughs> Um, and so with all that said, Nettie, I think it's safe to say that you have an incredible ultra running resume that we just went over a little bit, but did you ever imagine yourself being the only finisher of a race? Oh, um, first of all, you gave me like that amazing introduction and, um, it makes me sound like way more badass than I'm really, than I really am. So I really appreciate it, but, um, I think I'm more stubborn than talented. And no, I never never thought I would be the only finisher. I, um, well, I'm obviously, the race was in Georgia and it's a way harder trail than I'm used to running. Um, and I was the only, I think, out of state participant. So no, I never, I never expected that I would be the only one that will get to the finish. I was hoping to just survive and, and, and get there. Uh, that was my goal for the race, but no, I didn't expect to be the only one. It sounds like you met your goal, though. Yeah, I guess. Finish. Yeah, Matt, I had no time goal. I just wanted to, to, to... And I also felt, going into that race, I kind of felt unprepared. Um you know, I was going on the trail that I only seen once in my life. Because I ran Cruel Jewel in 2019, and that was my only experience with the dragon spine. And, you know, other people in the race, they live in the area, we run it weekly. So, no, never, never imagined myself being the last one standing. <laughs> and so you mentioned sort of like the experience you've had on that trail there. Um, do you like to do that before races then? Get out on the trails that the races are on a lot and kind of get to know the course a little bit? Or do you um, prefer to be kind of surprised? I guess a mixture of both. Um, like if I am relatively... So uh, sometimes I like to go to general area and kind of have a feel what, what it's like. So like when I did my first 100, which was Burning River, I did 
back I throw 50k to kind of get the feel of what the course will be like. You know, I did forget the PR before I did Mohican 100. I did um, Mount Mitchell Challenge before Hellbenders. I kind of knew what the trails in um, Asheville area were like. But then, you know, obviously when I did Hurt, I never see, uh, I mean, I've seen, I guess I shouldn't say that. I've seen the trails at Hurt because I was there on vacation uh, five, four years before I ran the race, but that was my only time. So, yeah, I try if I can, but often, you know, I, but I think uh, when you live in the area and train on the trail, you obviously have an advantage over someone who is coming from out of town and never seen the trail. That's interesting. I would almost argue against that too, somewhat a little bit. Like, if you're if you're blindsided by a course, I think it's sometimes that there's that excitement of being yeah. so you're not so you're not focused on it. Like you know, like this is coming up, or you're dreading a hill climb that you know is going to be yeah, there. You kind of have like a ooh, that's you know figuring out what's happening because you have no idea. Yeah, that's true. That sometimes ignorance is is good, right? <laughs> so, so like you said, it's a good mixture. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um. So yeah, if I can get in the general area, I will, but uh, I will not go, like, let's say there's a race week and I'm, I will not go the day before or two days before, because I think that will like mentally maybe scare me more than encourage me. So usually I don't go out on the trail and preview it right before the race. <laughs> then I just go, you know, purely yeah. ignorant. Yeah. And so... I mean, I think about that a lot sometimes too, having run um, the Mohican lap mm -hmm. so much in like training that in some of my training runs, I think, oh, like what would it be like to do three more of these? You know? Yeah. Um, and it's both, I think it is both good and bad because sometimes I get into my head where I'm like, my legs are already so tired. I have to do that three more times. Mm -hmm. Like I know that this climb is coming up, but I also know, I know exactly what climb is coming up, yeah. you know? So I know what to be prepared for. Um, so I definitely think there's a little bit of give and take there. But mm -hmm. other than finishing first then, Mitty, what was the uh, biggest surprise that you had during the Baby Dragon 100? How cold it was. It was really cold. And it's, uh, you know, for August in Georgia, I didn't expect to be so cold. It rained. I mean, it just poured, poured sheets of um, water. I think one of the eight stations, the roof collapsed, just sunk in <laughs> almost. Um, it was just extremely wet and, and it was cold. I just felt cold and I didn't expect to be cold in August. You know, what was the temperature like? Like, do you know what, the, what it was? I think it dropped to 60, but it was pouring and yeah. we were soaked. Um, and, you know, you, was, you were constantly soaked. So I changed my shirt a couple of times, but I went out and I was wet within like two minutes. So, <laughs> And um, I made a decision, you know, I knew it was going to rain and I have a, a waterproof jacket and I have water resistant jacket. And I thought waterproof jacket is too warm. It's just too warm, you know, like it's more like for 40 degrees rain. So I just got the water resistant jacket thinking, you know, it's, it's going to be warm and maybe that wasn't the smartest choice. Maybe I should have something that would keep the water off me because it was colder than I, I thought it would be. Crazy. Yeah. I never once in my life have associated Georgia with even the phrase cold. So Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I expect it to be like super hot and humid. That's yeah. what I was dreading. I was dreading like, 105 degrees. <laughs> yeah, 100% humidity. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was humid when we started, but then mm. the rain came like five hours in and it pretty much rained most of the time until the second night when it stopped. Yeah. I mean, second All night right. for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, real quick, we want to take a break here and ask uh, everybody tuning in right now um, whether or not this is your first time listening to the Ridge Runners live show or you've seen literally every episode, uh, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you would, and introduce yourself in the live chat. We'll be looking to that for questions that you might have for Nettie um, during this show. Uh, if there's anything you're curious about with her experience with the Baby Dragon 100 or any of the other hundreds that she's run in her life, 
or maybe her work with Trail Sisters uh, or directing races at Empower Ultras, uh, go ahead and throw them in the chat there and we'll get to them. But moving on from that, you said in your Facebook post um, mm -hmm. after the race that with all of the briars that you would have been ready for the Barkley after that. And uh, how soon could you see yourself towing the line at the Barkley Marathons then? And do you have any tips for all the rest of us when uh, dealing with lots of briars on a race course? Oh, that was a joke. I was just making a joke. No, I, I am, uh, we can get to it. I got lost at least twice during the race. So I get lost on marked courses. So if I would go to Barkley, I would never find a single book <laughs> because I am really bad in navigation and have really bad sense of direction. Uh, and also, I'm, you know, not. I don't think I'm fast enough to move fast enough when I can run. So, but if I could have a GPX file, and <laughs> then I could probably do it because I could suck it up and go through briars, uh, and, and I could do the course. But no, navigation is, is is a challenge for me. For the briars, I don't really know what my tip would be. I think it would be like to wear long pants and long sleeve shirts. <laughs> <laughs> to protect your body as much as you can, which, you know, I didn't do. I was wearing shorts and short sleeve shirt and a rain jacket. I was using my trekking post to kind of pull the weeds out of the way, kind of knock them down and push them away. But the trail was extremely overgrown. So you push one weed out of your way and then two others pop behind it and you're still getting scratch. And you just pretty much have to suck it up, I guess. It's just, it's going to hurt, but then it hurts only for... You know, when they catch you, but then a few seconds later, uh, it gets better. But we had to go through that section six times. So I admit, like on my fifth pass, I almost cried. Like, I can't go through that again. Like, I don't have skin left on my legs. <laughs> it just hurts. So, you know, it, like you said about Mohican and doing that thing again, like, you know, you're going through those briars again. And it's just like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to hurt a lot. So it just... I guess they superficial and they hurt, but they don't hurt for a very long time. So if you get caught, it's gonna hurt you for you know a few seconds and then then it will be better as long as nothing touches your leg for a while. Those pictures look pretty uh, gruesome. The, all the oh, they were awful. It was crazy. I was like and my friend, oh. my friend asked me if I want to go to the pool after I was done, and I said, Arbel, if I show up at the pool, we're gonna call the health department and close it. <laughs> People are gonna flip out. I can't go and be seen in public with my legs like that. There's no way. Yeah, I often heard people talk about uh, ultra races as death by a thousand cuts. You know, yeah. uh, over the course of the race, things slowly start to hurt more and more. But I've seldom seen someone who looks like they actually have a thousand cuts. Yeah, I probably have a thousand. I had it on my arms too and my hands, mm -hmm. um, but not as bad as on my legs. Yeah. And then I don't think you should sell yourself short with the navigation thing either, because I think sometimes uh, it's easier to get lost on marked trails, actually, because you're so confident in where you're going. Yeah, that's true. Or at the very least, I do this. Um, and as an example, if you follow me on Strava, you'll know that it took me three tries to find the right exit on the bike path here uh, okay. the other day in Columbus, because I looked at it on like Google Maps and I was very confident where I was headed even though there were signs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that element of the Barkley where you know you have to navigate um, and you kind of come into it prepped, like with your map and compass, it's going to be a little different outlook going into it in the beginning. Um, so that's something to consider. I always like to see people try to run things like the Barkley or uh, Nolan's, so. Yeah, Nolan's exciting too, but I have a hard time with elevation. Like I, I, I suffer at high altitude. There you can actually die. <laughs> Nolan's. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can die at Barkley, but at Nolan's, I think you actually honestly mm -hmm. could die. <laughs> but it's super exciting, super, super awesome thing. Mm -hmm. And so in that same Facebook post, um, you outlined some of the other things that went wrong for you mm -hmm. in this race. Um, you had some headlamp problems with it, mm -hmm. not wanting to stay turned on. You had some navigation problems that we already talked about, all the rain that we talked about, including even now something that we haven't mentioned, but simultaneous bee stings. Yeah. Um, how do you keep going in a race where it feels like 
so much has gone wrong uh, mm-hmm. and stay focused both mentally and physically? Um, well, I always, um, so I say I don't have a really significant athletic talent. I don't really, I'm not super fast. I will never do really well on a fast, flat course, but I'm stubborn. And I can kind of turn off my brain and focus on task at hand. And um, so what I try to do, I think I can stay pretty calm. And I always try to focus on things that I can control and don't dwell on things that I have no control over. Because for me, it's like a wasted energy. So my light is blinking and I don't have an extra light. And there's nothing I can do for the next four hours. I am stuck with my blinking light and my handheld. Like, so I have to figure out, I have to adjust my expectations and I have to get more food from the aid station because I know it's going to take me longer uh, than I thought because I have to walk slow, uh, run slower because I don't have a good light. And um, just kind of like suck it up for the four hours it's going to take me to get the better light. So I think it was Roosevelt that said, do what you can with what you have where you are. That's always been my ultra-running mantra. So like when I got lost and I couldn't find the trail and I was wandering in circles for close to 40 minutes and the rain was coming in sheets and I just didn't know where it was. And at some point I even forgot where I came from. So even if I would see the blazes, I would possibly go in the opposite direction. So I didn't know what to do. And then I decided, I looked at my watch and I decided, I saw it was like 6 a.m. It's like, well, the sun will come up. And uh, once the sun comes up, I will be able to see the blazes. So then I can go. So then I had the solution. I was like, I can't control the rain. I can't wish for the rain to stop because I have no control over it. But I know for sure that the light will come and I will be able to see the trail at 7 a.m. So maybe I just have to pull out, pull out my emergency blanket, wrap myself up and keep myself warm and kind of calm down and wait until the sun comes up. And then I can see where I'm going. But luckily, Michael Ortiz came down <laughs> from the trail and he showed me where, where the trail was and I didn't have to sit there wrapped in my plan. But that was my plan. I was going to just wait for the sunrise. And so I, I think the way you keep going, you just have to see what you can do. And don't waste, don't get mad or frustrated with something that's out of control. Don't get frustrated with the weather because you can't control the weather. Mm-hmm. Think about something that you can do and how you can make a difference and what you can, there's always something you can do. There's always something mm-hmm. you can do. So focus on that. Yeah. Good advice right there. That is, that is really great advice. Um, for all of our listeners who might be running the Burning River 100 this week, along with our esteemed co-host here, um, that does seem like really great advice. Uh, I wish you all the best and hope that you remember that if you have any low moments, because I know I'll uh, be trying to do that the next time that I get out into a race. Um, which it kind of brings to mind um, the advice I've gotten before about that, where it's like, if something goes wrong, let yourself be upset, but put mm-hmm. um, like a very hard distinction on how long you're going to be upset. Yeah, Because yeah. if you forgot to refill one of your bottles at maid station, you know, you can't have a pity party until the next aid station because mm-hmm. all it's going to do is slow you down. Yes. You can't control it. It's done. It's done. It's just like, mm-hmm. I always tell, I run with somebody and run with my friend and she forgot to fill her bottle. And another friend was kept saying like, Oh, maybe you can do this or maybe you can that. And I said, stop talking about it. Like she already moved on. Like she found the solution. Like stop talking about the bottle. Like it's done. <laughs> you know, she can't, uh, but yeah, you can't, I mean, you can have a tiny pity party, get mad for a minute or so, but like you have to get over it and keep going, you know, like, because otherwise you give up mm-hmm. because you feel helpless. You feel like you have no control. And if you have, have no control, then you can't go, right? Because it's the world against you. Yeah. Definitely uh, bring that up. Uh, this podcast up this weekend if I'm struggling and I'll just re-listen to it. So you're doing Burning River 100? That's exciting. Yes, my first 100 attempt. Oh, cool. That was my first 100 too. That's a great race. 
yeah. such a cool race. I'm excited about it. Nervous, but excited. And the weather's supposed to be good, right? Because I didn't sign up. <laughs> <laughs> we can certainly knock on wood. Yeah, let's knock for, on wood. <laughs> uh, for the weather this weekend. Um, yeah. Hope it will be perfect weather and gentle breeze and everything will fall in place. That's the hopes. Yeah. Oh. But um, going to the next question here we got for you lined up. Um, in <laughs> one of your Real Sisters articles, you mentioned how far respect and kindness goes in terms of keeping people in community. Um, would you like to elaborate on more of Real Sisters and what they do and, and your involvement in them, the, the group? Oh, yeah. So I am um, I'm a chapter leader for Trail Sisters in Dayton, Ohio. So I've been, uh, we were one of the first chapters. I was actually following Trail Sisters for a long time, and I was asking Gina to let me set up the chapter even way before she was ready. <laughs> and then when she finally was, then I was super excited, and we, we, we got it started. So it's my opinion. It's not Trail Sisters' statement. But I truly believe, and I'm very passionate about encouraging other women to try trail running. And I believe that the growth in sport and participation will come not so much from like lottery spots and what elite females are doing as much as it will come from us supporting each other. And from seeing other women do a similar life situation who have like kids and jobs and you know aging parents and driving their kids to soccer practice and and still doing those things, still doing races and finding the way, and um, that's how that's how we grow the sport. That's my belief. Um, but also, I feel like as females, sometimes we can be toxic to each other, very competitive in the wrong way. And we can downplay each other's achievements and we can boast and we can um, uh, compete in a very bad way. So I think what Trail Sister is doing, it's just pretty amazing, is trying to build that community of, of support and not judgment and, and being there for each other. And, and we are like women in different life stages, different experiences. Um, and yeah, we just do... All our runs are easy, but so if you want a speed work or something that's, um, it's not what we do. We do converse, converse, conversational pace, sorry, uh, like mm -hmm. six mile runs. So we're trying to not to be intimidating. We want to, if you come and run with us, if you have, you know, a local female, uh, you will never be too slow. We never leave anybody behind. And, um, yeah, we just offer support and, and encouragement and that sense of community. Yeah, uh, definitely reminds me of our previous episode that we had with Ryan from the Rocks and Roots Trail Run Group, um, mm -hmm. just north here of Columbus. Um, but a group run where you can show up and you know you won't be dropped is a, a really yeah, great you won't thing, be, especially the for... will never be dropped. Mm -hmm especially for somebody sort of uh, just starting into the sport or mm -hmm. maybe they've been a runner and they're nervous about getting out on trails and running. Very down. worried about getting lost mm -hmm. or slowing other people's down, other people down. So we have a few leaders, like, uh, uh, run leaders, like the, the, the ladies that will, if we have to split into groups and they are really good about never make you feel like you're slowing them down. Um, so it's really... So yeah, if anybody wants to try it, really give it a try and you're never too slow. <laughs> and yeah, we'll never, never leave anyone behind. We always try to support and, and encourage everyone who shows up. Yeah, that's great. And um, we'll leave some information um, with that in like the YouTube description or on uh, our social media pages or something. Um, and we also have our first question in the chat Okay. Uh, it was from a little while ago, but it was from Wesley, who I think is supposed to be at work, so nobody <laughs> tell anybody. Hi, but um, Net Wesley says, Nettie is ready for the Barkley Marathons 100s, dot, dot, dot. But has she put in <laughs> any thought into the Barkley Fall Classic? Uh, so I've never, I never apply. I never registered for this one. It's usually around my husband's birthday. So it's one of those weekends that I always blocked off and... and 
mm-hmm. and on rice. Yeah, um, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, pivoting back a little bit to uh, some of the things that you've written for Trail Sisters, uh, mm-hmm. in two of those articles, you mentioned that the races that you excite that um, excuse me that really excite you are the ones where you only have a 50-50 percent chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not winning, but finishing. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Um, like one percent chance of winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but why is that? Why is that what you're looking for in a race? Um, so I think what I like about it, it's kind of like a story. You know, you don't know how this. You, are, I am in the story, and I don't know how the story will end. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. But it's an adventure. It's kind of like edge of the seat event. It's exciting because I don't know if I can do it. If I have it in me, I'm trying hard. And it's kind of like, especially in the middle of the night, I feel like I'm in the movie, right? I'm reading a book, but I am the book. I don't know if it makes even any sense. But, um, and also maybe because I am not particularly fast, that uh, that's my way of setting goals. Uh, I can push myself by doing like a hard technical race versus like setting, you know, goal to run, I don't know, really fast. Yeah. Run at Canal Corridor or something like that. So, so instead yeah, but of mostly it's just excitement of seeing what I'm made of and where my limits are and, and what, what I can achieve and, yeah. and what, what's going to happen. I just don't know what's going to happen. And that's what's, what's really, really exciting. Yeah. So if I understand you right, what you're sort of looking after is that excitement of um, pushing the limits of what you can do, not just the mm-hmm. limits of how fast you can go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like the thing of not knowing, something that's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's ultra running in general, because, you know, when mm-hmm. you run a marathon, you know, you can finish a marathon, right? Pretty much. I mean, half marathon, maybe not as fast as you hoped, but you pretty much... No, you can do it. There you don't know if you can do it. And you don't know if you bit too much that you can chew. And I also like troubleshooting. I like to finding, I like finding solution. I like to kind of seeing where my limits are. So yeah. It's kind of dumb sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I did the race at high high altitude without training without, you know, cold turkey it was very dumb, but yeah. <laughs> Find the, I find the um, comment about troubleshooting very interesting because, like, at me at work, like, I love troubleshooting. It's what I, I like to do with technology, but I've never, I've never once made that connection to troubleshooting during a tra- during a trail running race. Like, yeah, but I like that. It applies. Yeah, yeah you, just, you fix problems. You fix mm-hmm. problems. Like that. I'm gonna use that. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's not uh, too much troubleshooting for you to do this weekend. Yeah. But, you know, once again, we will knock on yes. wood. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Everything will, like, sometimes you have a perfect race and everything clicks. So hopefully you have one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, as you said, um, in sort of like living the story, usually it's where things go wrong that the story starts to get fun. <laughs> yeah, at the very least mm-hmm. in my experience. Um, mm-hmm. I have never had much fun telling a story about how I had a really wonderful race versus where I yes. had a race where I uh, had a lot of problems come up. So, yeah, that's, 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 yeah. It's kind of like those, the movies and the books mm-hmm. were nothing, it'd be very boring unless there is something that goes wrong and there's a cliffhanger, right? So the troubles are like kind of cliffhangers and then you have to get out of it. That's, that's what, what you remember. And you learn. You always learn. You always learn something about yourself. And um, there's always a lesson, which is super exciting, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Silver Age Dave in the chat says, it's Ohio. So we'll find out the weather as it's happening and not before. Oh, yeah. You might cha- <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might change halfway during the race. You never know. I mean, I've run races that... It wasn't supposed to rain at all, and then it rained during the rain in Ohio. I don't mm-hmm. remember which one it was, but there was zero chance of rain, and then it rained. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, I already mentioned it briefly, but uh, you don't 
just run uh, these races. You also direct them with uh, mm-hmm. Empower Ultras. So, uh, and you also mentioned a little bit um, going from like full time to being like a working mom who also runs Ultras. What was mm-hmm. that uh, trans- transition like for you? Um, as your Trail Sisters author bio says, going from like full time computer science work to um, a string of part-time jobs, being a swim and synchro mom, running trails and directing ultra marathons. So I was super competitive with my work. I worked really hard. I had my daughter when I was 34. And, um, you know, even when I was pregnant, I worked crazy hours. And <laughs> um, I never expected that that would change. But then once my daughter was born, things changed. And uh, I wanted to be part of her life. I wanted to be there more. So I tried to go back to work and it just, it wasn't for me. So I talked to my husband and we look at our finances and we figure out the way that I can work part-time and, you know, be be there, be with my daughter, which was really important for me. So um, even though my husband at first thought I totally lost my mind, <laughs> Uh, he really supported me, and uh, so I, um, yeah, I've worked from home mostly, and I've done a bunch of projects and little things, and, you know, I taught math a little bit, and I did a lot of volunteering, uh, but I have not have uh, the job that was, you know, in the office, eight to five, Monday through Friday for the last 14 years, almost. Um and um, I'm also grateful for my life situation because that also allows me to run uh, because I have that flexibility uh, with my work and, uh, you know, we can set my runs around um, my daughter's schedule and our family schedule. So I have, um, I am very, very lucky to have that life situation. And there was an adjustment, but I'm glad I did it. I don't regret it. Um, super fun. Yeah. And so um, making the transition from being someone who just runs ultras to someone who also directs ultra marathon mm-hmm. races, uh, what is something that you think maybe the average ultra marathon runner doesn't know about race directing or should learn about race directing? Or it's a lot like more work. It's <laughs> way more work than you think. There is and always something will go wrong, regardless of what you, there is. It's exhausting. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love race directing. I've been doing it for five years. And, you know, I had a lot of people who would do my first ultra. And it's just seeing them, you know, getting that finish. It's it's very rewarding. But there is also, like, people get stung by bees. People get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest part is pulling people, of course, when they don't meet time uh, cutoff. And I hate doing it. But sometimes we have to do it for base safety, for safety of our volunteers. And that's one thing that's the hardest part for me because I don't like doing it. I don't want to do it. I try to set up the cutoffs that I don't have to do it. But but that's that's the thing that that's the hardest part of race directing for me is cutting people, uh, pu- pulling them off the course when they don't need the cutoff. I don't know if there was another part of the question that I missed. Oh. Um. I can't quite remember. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, but it seems it makes a lot of sense that you would say that the most difficult part of race directing for you is uh, having to pull people off of the course. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like, or at least in my experience with race directors, they all they don't just want you to finish, but they want you to have that experience with that course, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like for you. You know, whether you go out at seven minute mile pace like Travis Sipfel or Michael Owen. You absolutely crush the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. You're in the middle of the pack and mm-hmm. you're just kind of having a party, or you're at the back of the pack and mm-hmm. you're chasing cutoffs and you're working really hard. Yeah. Um, that it seems like the thing that they want to happen is for you to have that experience, um, especially like an experience that they've had, and to share that experience of the trails and of this this course or this route with you know the whole community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. it is. And people are usually in the back of the pack. A lot of them, they work extremely hard. They really, really mm-hmm. work really hard. And we try to set our cutoffs so they're attainable 
from almost everyone. But sometimes, you know, people roll their ankles, get stung by bees, mm-hmm. things, you know, things happen. And we have to, you know, we had people that had anaphylactic reaction and they had to pull off course and tell them that it's really not safe to continue. And, you know, people cry and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've cried at races I've finished. <laughs> and I'm usually not even near the cutoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cried. <laughs> I was say that's not meant to be like a, a humble brag or anything, but no, I, yeah. I've cried on I think most race courses. Um, but yeah, so um, moving on a little bit from that, um, when you're running these races and not directing them, what is uh, one thing that you can't leave an aid station without? Oh, I just have to top my water. It's the think that's you always refill your water bottles on top of your bladder because it may take you longer than you think to get to the next aid station so take that time especially in the summer yeah always grab something from the aid station i always grab fruit i think fruit is awesome even if my stomach is kind of going south i can usually stomach fruit it's like a quick sugar you know orange slices um watermelon that type of thing. But yeah, liquids are crucial, I think. I mean, I made that mistake when I thought I had enough water, I had enough electrolytes and I did not, and it wasn't pretty. Seems like it's easy to get off guard, caught off guard, especially if yeah. the temperature rises or something like that. Yeah. And especially with bladder, because you don't know how much you're drinking, you know, you just feel like, oh, I don't need it. And then the section, kind of like we're talking that knowing the course, the section is way harder and takes you way longer than you thought. And then you run out of water and that's, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I always try to stop and, and, um, it, I mean, I always carry the, the water bottle. So maybe not always because uh, topping the bladder is kind of a pain sometimes. I have to take the pack off, but I try to have the water bottles and those are really easy to top mm-hmm. and, you know, do that at every aid station. So at least I have a liter of water leaving and yeah, it's extra weight that you have to carry, but I, I think it's worth it. Keeping on that food topic. Um, Andrew Wall said you often Strava your walks to Starbucks and he's curious. Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love Starbucks. I am really bad with overpriced (laughs) drinks. And I forced my daughter to walk. So I was doing that GV rat, you know, great virtual race across Tennessee and mm-hmm. the walking towns. So there's two and a half miles from my house to Starbucks. So I would drag my teenager to go and I would promise her to buy her a pink drink. <laughs> and we would do it. But yeah, I am, yeah. I always get Starbucks gift card for all different occasions because everybody knows them. Um, I like chai latte and I like the skinny vanilla latte with almond milk. Starbucks. That's my favorite thing. Those are my favorite things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe kind of an odd question. Would you ever consider drinking one of those during a race if it was offered to you? Coffee? The the Starbucks? Yeah. I did. Actually, I did that. Yeah, I did a Mm -hmm. 24-hour run on the track in Kettering, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, it was actually, uh, it's right in suburban area. And uh, my friend texted, my friend Dagmar texted me and she said, what do you want? What can I bring you? And I said, can you bring me Starbucks? And she did. So she brought me, brought me Starbucks in the morning. And then my husband brought me another Starbucks at night. So I actually had like a real full-size Starbucks. And I did. I ran that race. Real Starbucks. Nice. <laughs> I should be sponsored by Starbucks. <laughs> I won't well, uh, read at them some, see if we can't get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> We we will have to see. I don't believe they have an athlete team, but you know, no, I don't start somewhere. Yeah, as I said, let's hope they're willing to try something new. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, Starbucks is my weakness. I, I always, I don't even want to know how much money I spend in Starbucks. I could probably <laughs> go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I assume it's probably safe to assume that one of your pre-race rituals now is a, a Starbucks coffee. But uh, do you have any other pre-race rituals? Oh, well, um, actually, no, I don't drink Starbucks coffee usually before. I try to get a little bit of caffeine going into the race, so it's more effective at night during the race. So it's kind of hard for the, uh, like, maybe a week before um, 
but I would get a decaf coffee. So yeah, I would do that. I would get a decaf <laughs> latte. Um, but I try uh, try to get a little bit of caffeine because I can also during the race, during the day, and then when I bring it out in the evening, it's more effective. I feel like I have to, don't have to take as much. Um, other than that, I just try to chill out, stay off my feet as much as I can, you know, make sure, like double check that my lights are charged, go over my drop bags. Make I like to make a list that I tape inside my drop bag that lists everything I have in it. And, you know, look at the cutoffs and the eight distances between the eight stations. I kind of review the race um, um, information. I like to print it, use the highlighter and like read it and highlight it and make little mm-hmm. notes, that type of thing. But usually I try to stay off my feet and, um, you know, have a good dinner and um, just chill. Yeah. That's the night before. And in the morning, I always eat oatmeal and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my thing. And okay, get there. Mm-hmm. Silver Age Dave is uh, got a question in the chat, and it is that there is a twenty-four hour run on September fifth and sixth in Toledo. He wants to know if you're running it. I know there were some other things on your ultra sign up that you're signed up for, and are in the future, but I can't remember what they are. No, right. I was not. I, I never even heard of it. One in Toledo. No, I'm not. I'm not in it. I don't even know. Yeah, the one I did is canceled this year because um, we didn't get the permit, but there was a run razor. It was called run razor. It's, it was in Dayton, Ohio, and it was on high school track. So it ran 24 hours on high school track. Was there a great race? So 2021, mm-hmm. you guys can be there. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then, so we've covered what you kind of do pre-race and how your race went. But uh, do you have a favorite post-race meal? I like rice and beans. That's my thing. And guacamole or avocado. I like salty stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing sweet. But the rice, like, rice is good. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I get the black bean soup at Panera Bread. I like that one too. I just like oh. salty stuff. Yeah. After, not uh, after. Not, not during. <laughs> not so much during. I don't, no, no, not black bean soup mm-hmm. during the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that, um, I think that's like a very good middle ground between um, somebody like Wesley, who after a race he can't eat um, and he's totally out of commission, or like me, whereas like the minute I'm in a chair, I would like like nachos and a beer, please, like right then. Um, yeah. <laughs> that feels a lot more healthier than either one of those approaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, it takes a few minutes before I can eat after I finish, but I try to get something within half an hour of finishing. Mm-hmm. Then if you don't, then... But yeah, I usually rice is bland. I can, I can get rice and beans. It's kind of... It tastes good. I could never do... I have a hard time with all those protein recovery drinks. It's just too sweet. I can't... There's no way I could drink it. Sounds like no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is another question that we kind of get mixed responses on, but I really like it. Um, so I keep asking it. Mm-hmm. But it's um, if Ultra Running had walk up songs like baseball did, what would okay. yours be? <laughs> well, so I don't really know, but I can tell you that mm-hmm. when I was on doing my second night at Baby Dragon and I was on top of Dragon Spine and I was going and sliding off the rocks. I heard a dam by Nirvana in my head. It was just, just it was on perfect. repeat. Is it just yeah. on repeat all for a couple hours or like just a couple times? Or was it kept coming back like one of those songs? Okay, that... coming back. It was just like I think I'm dumb, maybe just happy. <laughs> the sun is down, but I have the light. And it was like perfect. It was exactly my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing here because it's my second night. Mm-hmm. I should be sleeping. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I kept hearing it. It was just kind of stuck in my head on repeat. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like it. I just thought it was... Because sometimes what we're doing, it's, mm-hmm. it's like it's dumb, right? But it makes us happy. Yeah. Oh, it, it, in the moment, it always seems like it's a very dumb thing to be yes. doing. Um, yeah. I regret a lot of life choices out on race courses. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah. Um, but... 
Yeah. And so this is a question that's usually been much better received. But uh, if you could run with one person in the history of the world, um, mm-hmm. even if they aren't a runner, assuming that they would run with you and keep your pace and you guys could have like a really nice conversational long run, uh, who would it be? Oh, I would run with Maggie Goodall because she's, I'm like a Maggie's big, the lady that won Biggs Backyard. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's awesome. She's amazing. She has amazing grit mm-hmm. and I think we could be friends. I really like her. I would like, if she would slow down for me, I would run. I would love to run with her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I feel like that's sort of one of the things about the ultra running community that surprised me um, Mm -hmm. is that so many of these answers are just other people from the community Mm -hmm. um, that we really only truly have like three degrees of separation from. If you start charting Mm -hmm. out who always ran what races and who all knows who, Mm -hmm. because I always, when I, when we first started asking that question, I assumed that we would get answers like, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt or somebody like that. But it seems like most of us just kind of want to be friends with people that are already in our community. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess when you're running, you kind of have, uh, those are like short sentences and <laughs> talking. So I don't know. But yeah, I would love to run with Maggie. I think she's incredible. I just love her grit. I just love her drive. I think she's just super amazing person. Yeah, she's definitely got some grit. Yeah. Yeah, her performance at Biggs um, going over 250, that was just like super inspiring to watch. Yeah, um, it's incredible. And especially, I mean, I've run one backyard ultra. I got about, I think, one-fifth of the way that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the way that I kept, like, checking it, uh, like, the I Run Far Twitter every few hours, and then I would just go about my life, and then Maggie's mm-hmm. still running. Like, yes. You know, and it, like, um, it's it was like, just so inspiring. It was just incredible, like, you know, especially the format of this race that you can't really – you know, sit at the aid station for a while. You just have to go up and keep going, going and going. And yeah, it, it was just, I mean, her mind is, it's, I would love to run with her and talk to her about that because that's so intriguing. The, the, the strength, the mental strength she has to, to be on her feet for so long, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. So kind of a related question, again, from Andrew Waugh. Um, oh. <laughs> I want to let Silver Age Dave know that we, I saw your question and we will get to yours, but Andrew Waz feels um, related, but he asks, do you want to run a backyard ultra so you could qualify to go to Biggs and then run with Maggie there? I was signed up for Michael's uh, backyard mm-hmm. ultra and that obviously got canceled, um, but I would like to try it. Yeah, that's intriguing. I don't, I think an hour might be kind of tight for me, you know, when I, cause I slow down eventually, but yeah, I, I have an interest in it. Um, but, um, yeah, I think those, you know, 14 minute miles eventually will be hard to maintain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking a break, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be uh, fantastic because then you'd end up being the first person to ever have run with the answer to that question get a chance to run with the person that they listed. <laughs> we have to, we'd have to have you back on to hear, mm-hmm. to hear about that experience. Oh yeah, that's right. If I ever got, I could run with Maggie. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the way to make it happen, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds like quite the plan. Um, we'll have to, uh, John, we'll have to go back through the archives and actually see and keep track of who everyone says and see if anybody ends up becoming friends with the people that they need. Um, yeah. Just to, uh, see what happens. But then uh, Silver Age Dave, the question that I promised that I would get back to, he asks, uh, what is your Grail 100? Um, and also, do you plan to run uh, a 150 miler or a 200 or any of those longer races even? I definitely want to run 200. I was going to run Fat Dog 120 this year. That obviously got canceled. That's the race that was it's always been my, my big dream race. And I was on waitlist for Bigfoot 200, uh, but that also got canceled. Um, so there's, I am interested in running 200, 150, 200. There was a race in California, 150, Headlands, 150. It's outside of San Francisco that I was interested in running that also moved to open course 
with limited su with no support, which I can't do. I can't go to San Francisco by myself and 150 miles out of my drop bag. I'm not talented enough to do that. Um, but I am um, I am interested and intrigued by a longer distance going over 100 miles. I'm scared. Uh, I don't know how, I mean, I know after being awake for 43 hours, how much harder it is than being awake for 36, seven hours. Uh, but yes, and the dream races, that was another part of the question, right? Yeah, um, so we said, what is your grail 100 miler? So like, what's the 100 miler that you want to run the most out of any? I, at this point, I want to run the fat dog. That's the one that I really, really want to run. It's 120, mm -hmm. 100, a little bit more over. Close enough. Yeah, that's the race I really, and now obviously I want to run Western States too eventually, if I ever mm -hmm. get in. But a fat dog is the one that I, before that was hurt and I, I, I did that. Now I moved to fat dog. It's just beautiful and and um, something that really speaks to me. So that's my, that's my dream race at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you say that you know how much harder things get after 43 hours. And I see just a very simple solution here to um, the idea of running a 200 miler, but also knowing how hard it gets after 43 hours. And I think you'll just have to finish in under 43 hours. Yes, like under really fast, right? And that's yeah. <laughs> easy to say. Um, and also, you know, the managing sleep, I just, like we talked about before we went on the air, how. Mm -hmm. When you stop, how stiff you get, and then, you know, like if you run 200 and you sleep for three, four hours, and then you get up and like getting moving again, that will be definitely challenging when everything locks up on you after. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been there. So it's something that yeah. hopefully I will find out at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so... Sleep is kind of a big topic with the backyard ultras too, and how you're mm -hmm. so constrained. You know, you can yes. really never get more than like five to ten minutes of sleep in mm -hmm. that race format. But mm -hmm. um, did you sleep at all during the Baby Dragon 100 on the course, no. or just after? Just after. I didn't sleep during. I was very very tired in my second night. Mm -hmm. I think if I would have taken a nap, it would probably make me go faster. Um, because I mean, I didn't sleep, but you honestly like fall asleep walking, <laughs> you know, like you kind of zonk out and then you like yeah. fall asleep for like five seconds and then you wake up. So that was the amount of sleeping I did. And I, at some point I kind of fell asleep and I slid off the trail and I was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's not good. So I went to the aid station and I just loaded mm -hmm. myself with caffeine, like loaded myself. It was mm -hmm. way too much. And then I started running again and all of the sudden I'm running and I feel like extremely hot, like really hot, like I'm dying. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm having my first ever hot flash. Like I'm going to menopause. And then I realized, no, it's over caffeinated stuff, you know, because then I got cold. <laughs> and then like my heart rate is pounding out of my chest. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, because I drank two cups of coffee and an energy shot. It was way too much. That's, <laughs> yeah, especially if you, uh, if you taper caffeine. Um, yes. before races i'm well known for my my caffeine habit um okay especially coming right out of graduate school i i drink way too much coffee oh yeah and even yeah. like two cups and i don't imagine you spent that long in an aid station and then the energy mm -hmm. shot that would probably even be a lot for her yeah that was too much I, mean, I was, was like just, very, you know it takes a while mm -hmm. for it to kick in mm -hmm. so I'm like it's not working so i you know, I've been awake for like 39 hours at that point. So I keep throwing that mm -hmm. caffeine. I'm not thinking clearly. And um, and then like all of a sudden, like, oh my God, what's going on? Why am I so hot? And like, no, it's like my heart is exploding. And so yeah, <laughs> that was not a smart decision. No, don't don't drink too much caffeine. That's not good. Yeah. And that's um you mentioned not wanting to do the headlines 150 because you know. You can't have a support crew. You're not going to run 150 miles out. And yeah, that was not. Yeah, that yeah. was. Uh, That's that wasn't a moment. Even, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, when you're throwing back more than one cup of coffee in an aid station, uh, that's maybe a moment for a crew member to uh, step in. And be like, I didn't hey. have a crew at. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so what, what Headland 150 is? There's it's open course, so there's nobody there. There are no aid stations. Okay. So there is because if there was if there were aid stations, I would do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they mark the course and you just go there and run it this year because of COVID and it's in California. So they, you know, super strict about permits. 
So you would just go and run the race by yourself and then you send them your watch data at the end. But there is nobody there. There is no um, race director. There are no aid stations set up. Uh, you just do it completely alone, which, you know, I just could not do it without, I need aid station, I think, for that distance or somebody who ha- would help me. Um, yeah. But I know I didn't have crew at uh, Baby Dragon, but there were aid stations, so I could get stuff. You know, I had drop bags and uh, they were dry, you know, they were in the at the aid station and, and you know, there were people were cooking you warm food and there were amazing volunteers there that would support every eight miles. So that's what I yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine doing 150 miles with your bag. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because the baby dragon, when I got the pre-race briefing, the pre-race email, they didn't say anything about drop bags. And, you know, some races like Canal Corridor, you couldn't have a drop bag, right? Because, you know, people are touching it, I understand. So I emailed the race director and said, can I have a drop bag? Because I'm coming alone. If I don't have a drop bag, like, I'm going to run like those people who hike, you know, AT with the pack (laughs) 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 to carry everything. uh, But he let me have a a couple of drop bags and that was very, very helpful. I think if I can have a drop bag, then, you know, I can have my light there and extra clothes and I don't have to carry it with me all the time. Yeah. That's just a lot of extra weight to, mm-hmm. to manage. And then fluids probably, you know, you got to probably um, be more diligent about what you drink and how much and when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, have to you don't have much. to filter water. Yeah. Otherwise I would have yeah. to filter water because yeah. where would yeah. I get water? Mm-hmm. And filtering is its own work um, yeah. in and of itself. Um, you know, I know at least when I've had to like filter water during uh, long runs that like minute to like stop and actually mm-hmm. like squat down at the side of the creek. Yes. That's uh, very difficult to stand back up from sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Uh, my friends, uh, my friend David and my friend Carissa and I, we did a uh, scar in Tennessee, um, you know, the AT section through uh, Smoky Mountains and we had to filter. And we also had to carry, we had car at 40 miles so we had to carry 40 miles worth of food. It was hard. And filtering, like you said, like getting there, getting that filter out and squatting and then getting back up and taking that. That, that was definitely harder than like just going to aid station and getting your water bottle topped. Um, let's see. Do you, yeah. what, what races are you looking forward to? I mean, I, I know you said most of them were canceled and then, <laughs> whatever um, is going on <laughs> yeah what what are you kind of scheduled for again i guess and then or what are your immediate kind of training plans i know you're going to recover from this run before you mm-hmm. probably go too hard at it but kind of curious what your forward-looking goals were i'm looking forward to pin it's still supposed to happen i've never done pin most of my friends have so um i'm going with my friend carissa and we're going to run the plan is to run together the whole race, which is super exciting. And um, yeah, this one will give me UTMB points too, hopefully. So I'm looking forward to it. UTMB yeah. would be. A- and then, you know, next year, hopefully, Fat Dog will happen. And mm-hmm. I was supposed to crew my friend uh, Nick at Bedwater this year, and uh, that got canceled. So I'm looking forward next year going and supporting Nick at Bedwater. That's, that's something that I'm very excited about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, before we go, you had mentioned that um, the one thing that we didn't have a question for, but that you wanted to talk about was a little bit about being from Poland um, yeah. and turning disadvantages into a strength. So mm-hmm. um, what would you like to say about that? Oh, I think um, uh, <laughs> um, what I think about, you know, sometimes we think, we come from the place of disadvantage, right? We think we're like not mm-hmm. like we go and run a race on a technical terrain and we train, let's say on the treadmill or going up and down, you know, one hill somewhere in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, but that disadvantage is our strength too, I think, because it makes us push harder and believe more. Um, so we have that saying in Polish, um, 
it says um, jakoś to będzie, which it's hard to... If it, you translate it directly, it means that it will be somehow, that things will work out somehow, and it doesn't promise you a happy ending. It doesn't promise you that things will work out perfectly, but it tells you that you will find a way and you will have more strength within you that you think you do. So I think coming from a disadvantage point, you try harder. Like you, like if we go from, you know, like you guys in Ohio too, uh, if we go and try to do something that's way harder that what we train on, we train harder and we try harder and we do way more. And we're, we're super creative, right? We do like hill repeats on the same hill up and down for hours. And we, you know, I mean, I do like mountain legs when I do like squats and lunges and um, hot yoga and, you know, uh, different things, you know, to, to get used to get ready for things that I am at disadvantage, but uh, I guess I'm aware and, and I try harder. I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I'd never try to blame if things go south, I never blame it. Oh, of course, because I'm from Ohio, it's just, you know, it, um, I think you can do more than you think. And I think if you, you are aware um, that you, uh, that you have to work harder and you don't expect things to work out perfectly, um, it's kind of in ultra running, you know, there's a lot of mundane, right, in life and you cannot quit. And then you're running your race, there will be times that will be hard and boring maybe and mundane and you will not be having fun, but you have to push through it kind of in training too. So I think, yeah, just keep plugging. <laughs> I don't know if it makes any sense. Maybe it's just kind of like yeah. rambling on. Well, it, makes, it makes total <laughs> sense. And I, and I think um, listening to you talk about the, the, the race earlier, you definitely are to live and do act by those ideas. You know, you push through what bee stings, briars, dumping rain, blinking headlights that almost went out. Like you, didn't get mad and you kept moving and you did what like you obviously are describing exactly what you currently do, which is awesome. So it goes to show that it is, it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you could, uh, you could say that phrase again, I'm not going to try to say it again. <laughs> oh, the Polish phrase. Yeah. In the, it, those languages. Uh, it says, jakoś to będzie. Okay. So if you're looking for a mantra for your next ultra, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's pretty good. All right. <laughs> you all heard it here first. Um, but yeah, uh, it looks like we don't have um, any more questions in the chat for you, Nettie. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have any sponsors that you want to plug? Um, I mentioned before that you were with Empower Running. I hope everyone takes a chance to check out your races, maybe mm -hmm. run one of them in the future. Um, back when we can have all of these races. Yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, the company, um, my friend Jennifer Russo and I have, uh, is called Empower Ultras. Mm -hmm. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. And we hope once the things open up again, we will have uh, our scheduled races again. So we'll have, we'll have night trail marathons and shorter distances. We'll have 24-hour and 12-hour and 8-hour run that's scheduled to happen in uh, March. And we have a couple other ideas that we hope to bring in 2021, but um, it all depends how the, you know, the whole situation un un um, unrolls. And I am um, partially sponsored by Tailwind. So Tailwind is the um, my nutrition choice, my drink of choice, and I use it in my racing and also in all the races I direct. Where can uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Strava or social media? So I'm under my name, which is pretty <laughs> long, but it's I think I'm the only person except I guess my husband. Uh, so I'm under Nelly Zepetela on Strava and Aneta Zepetela on um, Facebook. On Instagram, I'm under Mama to One. It's Mama number two in the word one. And uh, I have a Twitter account I never use, <laughs> which is also Mama to One. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. And Empower Ultra 
is also on Instagram under Empower Ultras. We'll link Empower Ultra and your Instagram on below. Everyone can go find you. Um, we want to thank you again for joining us this evening. It has been a great show. Uh, we loved hearing all about your experiences with briars and bee stings and everything else that happened <laughs> during the race. And congratulations on your first place and only winner. And DFL. <laughs> for the race. Well, when you're the only finisher, you can be both DFL <laughs> and first place. Yes. <laughs> but... Um, with that, we'll see everybody next week on the show. Um, we should have a good recap next week of some experiences with the Burning River. So, looking forward to it. Bye, everybody. All right. See you, everybody. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Our Nation.